No, oh, yeah, no booze, please. Uh, however, uh, in, in my uh, years of being in front of people, once in a while, a boo or two. Boo, who? Um, there's so much going on with the holiday, you know, with the new year, um, with, as we were in agreement, movement is probably going to be our, our, what we're looking at for the new year. Um, I had a prayer for Rosh Hashanah, which I probably will do, but because Alan's got some very good points about it, I'd like to bring Alan up for a moment and let him discuss it, and then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. So come on, Alan. Come on, buddy. You know, it's like, what do I know? But um, I just want to tell you that, um, you know, he, uh, Judaism is not like Christianity, you know. In Judaism, starting on Yom, Yom Kippur, all the sins are washed away. All, all of everybody's sins are washed away. And then one day into the next year, like, like the day after Yom Kippur, there's a little bit of bad and, you know, and, and a lot of good. But over the course of time, you know, over the course of the year, sins start piling up. And that, you know, that weight keeps, you know, of the balance. I mean, it keeps going down, 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 down. If, if you are, if you die the day before Yom Kippur, you're in really big trouble because you've had 364 days to bring, you know, uh, to bring sin upon, you know, the accumulation of sins. But if you live one more day and it's suddenly it's Yom Kippur, then suddenly once again all those sins are washed away and they're placed on the lamb and then the goat goes and then the goat comes back and the thread, the scarlet thread around its neck has been turned white and we know that God has done his mighty work. Well, you know, in Christianity, I mean, for us, it's different because we're always sinless because we're always the righteousness of God in him. It's a, it's a different thing. God has become our propitiation, and we no longer carry our sins to, to the next Yom Kippur. Well, through these centuries, I mean, Yom Kippur, I mean, Rosh Hashanah is a day when, when all the people come together. You know, the Jewish people, they come together, and they... Um, and they start to examine their sins, and then there's the 10 days of awe, and then there's the Yom Kippur, and as a group, you know, I mean, as a nation, they, they slay the lamb. I mean, now it's in prayer, but, but um, a few days ago, President Netanyahu announced that um, there was going to be a lockdown for 30 days, and, um, and it meant that the people weren't able to get together and do their Rosh Hashanah. They can't hear their their um, shofars in the synagogue. So what did they do? They assigned certain people on certain blocks throughout the state of Israel to blow the shofar to, to stir people's souls so that they consider the fact, you know, that they've been living in sin and that they need to do repentance. And also in Yom Kippur, you know, there's no synagogue that gets together where they, uh, where they're reading through, you know, and, and they come across the place where this um where this sheep has been slain for them that they can um 
deposit their sins on the sheet. And so now the people are forced to just do this in their own house with their own family because they can't get together. And, um, and so this is very unfamiliar. This is uh, suddenly there's an emphasis on family rather than community. But I want to tell you that, um, that during times of uncertainty, times when we, um, when we don't feel like we have it all together, you know, um, these are the times that we can reach out to God. And so, um, so this is a perfect opportunity to ask that in all these gatherings in Israel, you know, where, um, where they are out of the routine, that they'll speak to God and not the rabbi and that the God of all heaven and earth will come down and says, let me take time to explain things to you, that I'm here for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are faithful and that you are a lover of people. It's not that you're putting up with us. It's that you are dramatically trying to draw us together unto you, Lord God. Father God, we rebuke religiosity. We rebuke legalism because we know that it's grace and not law, Lord God, that brings, brings us to you and that opens the doors for us. Father, we ask that you would open the door of every human heart, that you would open the door, that you would show them that it's not the system, it's not the theology, it's not the pattern, it's not the um, tradition that draws us to you, but simply the fact that because you're the lover of our souls and their souls, that the door is open. Lord, we ask that you would penetrate every heart with the gospel message, that Yeshua has come, that Yeshua is the one who is promised, and that we have a way to you, Lord God, which is a real way, Lord God. We, um, we thank you that the righteousness doesn't come from our works, but from your grace, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much. Thank you. Alan, that was so awesome. It, it really <clears throat> was wonderful to hear. I didn't know many of those things, and I'm glad we got an opportunity to pray, um, especially in light of Rosh Hashanah. So thank you so much. That was awesome. Let's, let's hear it for Alan again. Come on. He, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what. He used to be really quiet, right? Really quiet. And, and then we took him out of the retreat. That's just what I was going to say. That is so, so wonderful. So um, Alan kind of took some of that, but I just wanted to do a quick prayer for Rosh Hashanah. And if you would seal it when I'm done then with the shofar in honor of uh, the day. Um, Oh, Lord God, we thank you so much for the glory of your creation. We repent for any errors of sin or unfinished works that you have called us to do. We reflect on our past year and resolve to improve ourselves, our communities, and our nation in unity with all our brothers and sisters. As we enter into year 5781, a year to widen our mouths in silence, let us remember to welcome all your people 
at our table. Rich, poor, black, white, Democrat, Republican, saint or sinner, as you do with all your people at your table, turning none away. Let each of us shine the light in this time of your resurrection and be filled with hope for what we will become on your return. Shana Tova. Woo! Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Holly. We know you've been practicing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's still some days here of repentance and, and other things that are going through up to Yom Kippur, if I'm, I'm correct. So, um, you know, I, I, I've really familiarized myself with this stuff. I, when I was um, younger, uh, Rabbi Frankel in Lansing, uh, allowed me and my brothers to come and visit him and he'd tell us all this stuff, but it's been so long. I'm just getting refreshed. So um, once again, thanks, Alan. And uh, we bless this new year. So uh, today our message is kind of a different word. Um, a lot of people have asked me if it's Spanish. It's not. It's Latin. And... Uh, we're going to talk about communitas and not community. Communitas being actually more intense than community. Um, Jesus often portrayed, is often portrayed at a meal with uh, all kinds of folks sitting around, um, followers and disciples. And notes about a meal in Jewish culture, uh, I, I think that in many cases we, we, we picture Jesus as perhaps eating the fish and, and the loaf or whatever, but a lot of these people that invited him in, I mean, these are pretty big affairs. I mean, he's got his disciples, he's got all these followers, he's sitting around with naughty people and, and he's invited them in. And I believe these dinners were, were rather cultish when, when you know, there's, there's certain order of people who need to be seated in a certain way. And I'm sure food was also served um, in a very ritualistic manner. So it, <laughs> this is only Jesus, you know. <laughs> he was mixing it up. And um, he was the leader of a group of very tightly knit followers who had each other's backs. We know that with the disciples. and. Obviously, the women that were with Jesus were, were very tight. It was a very tight-knit group. They were all enveloped together in a powerful, all-encompassing mission. And he associated with all classes of people um, moving into communitas. So the definition of communitas, which once I heard this word, I, I just, it drove me nuts. So I, I've read all everything I could find on it and, and watched all these things. Communitas is an ordeal, a challenge, a task, a mission that requires each player to find each other in a new significant way to get a job done. 
I relate this very much right now to what we've seen going on here at Shekinah, how the more we're doing events, we have throne room, we, we're repairing stuff, we're doing shelves, <laughs> we're, we're just together a lot, but we're also launching all these different programs. You know, we're in 13 or 14 countries. 13. 13 countries, I mean, for just a, a few people, I mean, I'm not whining for us, but man, we're moving. That is communitas. And the wonderful thing about it, as we move forward, as we, as we move forward with, we, we learn so many new things about each other. So, like I said before, you thought I was joking probably, we're becoming, we're becoming all the time. Every single day, we're never st static. We're, we're learning from each other, we're learning from people around us. We're learning from people in other countries. And God's really filling us up. Uh, we have um, wonderful things like Lyra. I mean, she's, she's a worship leader. She also takes care of our food. And she's a wonderful hostess and just a, a, a wonderful person. And Holly's really come out with, now today she helped to the service. I didn't know you could pull the shofar so well. I just found out. <laughs> and I know she's very talented at what she does in business. And Matt, of course, very uh, te technologically uh, apt, as well as um, designing, uh, which is something special. And, of course, Carrington, everybody just likes her. And Alan, I would say, is probably our resident uh, expert on Judaism. So <clears throat> as... As sparse of a group as we are, and especially today, missing, you know, <laughs> Stefan and Laura, we do a lot. And we continue to find out each other, uh, about each other and what we're doing. And one of the cool things about communitas in the definition is that friends become comrades. We have, we have a sense of each other's back. So when I say communitas, not community, beyond community is what we're really saying because we're, 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 we're getting like this. And, and it happens more and more. And it's because we're becoming. We didn't all plan to sit down and go, okay, we're going to be real tight. <laughs> we're just, it's just happening as we grow. Now, one of the things that I've seen pointed out in, in many cases since I've been reading this is that all movements that are powerful, all movements that truly succeed move in a sense that they need each other to succeed. We have to be loving, we have to be serving together or nothing's gonna come to pass. And, and many movements are, get started and they fizzle out because there's no communitas. You know, one person, we, we depend on each other. Because if Holly didn't do this, then Matt wouldn't be able to do that, then Lyra wouldn't have this. And, you know, I'm just hanging around. I'm, I'm an all-purpose guy. <laughs> but just because I don't have any specific <laughs> other than, anyway, self-deprecation sometimes is good. Communitas, communitas is something where we are, are, are becoming, like I said, all along the way. In communitas, we form a deep and profound 
love for one another as a group of brothers and sisters. We rely on each other deeply because we need one another to survive. Doesn't that make you feel good? Turn to, turn to whoever you're close to and say, I need you to survive. I need y'all to survive. How's <laughs> that? So it, it, that's so special. It, it really takes us apart from just like we're a church group, you know. We do some stuff. We go bowling once in a while. <laughs> we don't really, but you know what I'm saying. So <laughs> do you like to bowl? Oh, well, I do too. It's been a few years. We'll, we'll have to do that then. What, what a great community toss trip. <laughs> I Terrible. Or it used to be. I don't know. Maybe I'm better now. My kids were much better. <laughs> anyway, in, in contrast, as we move along here, American churches uh, seem to have, as, as we're all decrying now the church and, and we're trying to stomp out legalism and we're trying to stomp out religiosity, which I think we at Chikina adhere pretty closely to that. We, we won't even tolerate it. But um, American churches have become a safe place, which is good, a very middle-classy kind of country club place where ministry really, it, it does happen, but without mission. Uh, we have a pastor and maybe a board who intend to do mission, but because of the ministry and the safe, knit atmosphere um, that the congregation themselves want to keep, mission never really happens. Um, in a lot of churches I've been in, mission is talked about maybe once or twice a year, and there's a very small budget. Wow. There's a very small budget that's set aside, and generally the congregation doesn't even know where the money's going. They know they have a mission, but, you know, once a year somebody says maybe it's going to Haiti, and everybody goes, now, this is, this is all fine. I'm not trying to put anybody else's ideas down, but the, the thing, oh, and I forgot about social hours, snacks, and coffee after the service. But mission, on the other hand, is moving outside the church. Outside the church walls, engaging others where they're at. A very Jesus-like move. He was the one. I mean, he never, he never had issues meeting anyone. He never judged anyone. And he was, it was just what he did. And he taught all these other people to do it as well. It's an amazing story. So ministry is important in mission. Ministry does then drive mission. Communitas is formed then. We become more like Jesus and his followers we get a real sense of walking alongside. Pretty exciting stuff. The church is often adverse to risk-taking. That's pretty standard across American churches. It's a nice, safe place. We, we're, we're kind of overwhelmed with the safety thing, and it's, it's about the family, and this, this is all good. But if we play it too... Too safe all the time. Nothing really ever happens. We just kind of go to church on Sunday, sing a couple of hymns, listen to the pastor, 
um, throw our money in the plate, have, have the crumb cake and coffee and go home. And I, I guess at least people are, are engaging some, at some point with God, but I'm not sure how much they're really moving forward. In Communitas, we have a little sense of adventure. We have a sense of a little bit of danger. We have a little sense of risk because we're putting ourselves out all the time. And whenever you do a creative endeavor, believe me, I know. I wish Jalen was here because I'd like to hear his thoughts. But when you do something creative, you're opening yourself up to criticism. I mean, everybody's going to go, ah, I don't know, Brent, that one song kind of sucked. It needs a little work. <laughs> or, or that piece of art, you know, could it, maybe you could have done it a little different. I mean, it's okay. So we, we, we have a risk. We're in a risky type field right now. And that's okay. With a, a little risk, a little adventure, we're, as we like to say here, we're strong enough in communitas that we're not afraid to jump off the cliff. <laughs> Which Stephanie is very fond of saying. Because we, <laughs> we know that somebody has our back. Somebody's holding on to the bungee cord. And of course, God's going to be there to catch us as well. But it's excitement. We are disciples. We are, we're missionaries. And I, I, I have no doubt that what we're doing is going to continue to grow. Communitas in mission puts life back into a church. Here in America, uh, we, we really need to see American churches come back to life instead of being sort of that static, I don't want to do that. Let's just meet on Sunday, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of where we're at. So I think the excitement of being where we are, it's good for us. It's good for Christians. And if it doesn't kill us, it'll make us stronger. You're supposed to laugh. Anyway, <laughs> no, I know it sounds terrible, but just a little bit of danger. I'm not talking about we're near death yet. Maybe if we do some mission over in a part of the world where we put ourselves in danger, but we're not quite yet there yet. So Jesus is our guide in communitas. It is how he moved with disciples, followers. They ate together, slept together. They faced trials and dangers together. Prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, all in tow. Jesus teaches us how to move, to be bold, and engage God's people wherever they are. This is such an important part of what I have to say today. I think I can make it work. <laughs> yes. You know, I know you guys know I'm clicker-challenged. Normally, Stephanie has to come up and do it. And <laughs> but I've grown up. She wasn't here, so I had to do it myself. There's, there's, there's so much that's involved with the idea of communitas. There's, there's an anthropology, if you will, that goes, that goes way beyond even what we just discussed about the closeness and unity. It's also like rites of passage. It's um, almost coming of age. We're all coming of age in God. 
we're, we're going through some trials, some difficulties, and sometimes it's not, we're not very nice to each other because we get tired. We get mad. We, we're okay. We argue a little bit like families, and, and then we move on. Um, I've had a lot of experiences, just joke. No, this is true. But um, in, <laughs> two weeks ago, I apologized to Stephanie on Tuesday and Laura on Wednesday. Now, you're like going, man, you better amend your decorum. <laughs> but the point is, is that with Communitas and how close we're all becoming, we both fired off back and forth um, apologies, uh, asking for grace, because we knew that it wasn't just me. I mean, we're, we're all, we were all involved. And what we found out of that is this really close, easy to forgive grace we granted each other. Now, this is one of the side effects, I believe, of community community tasks. And it's so awesome. It's just so awesome to behold. Just like I lost my place. So Jesus is definitely our example of communitas, the way he moved, who he had flowing with him. He's an example of really how to bring people to God. He's a good listener, a great coach, um, asked great questions, allowed people to draw their own conclusions. That's one of the things about communitas that we move forward with love. We're not telling people the minute we meet them to repent, uh, accept Jesus or you're burning in hell. Um, it's kind of a softer type of evangelism that Jesus really, uh, that Jesus really intended for us, I think, all along. Um, that sort of evangelism I just talked about is six, seven hundred years old, and it comes out of the Reformation, where the French or the French Revolution, rather, where they split church and state because the church was so awful to people that the people finally rebelled and took it out. It's, it's still a viable aspect. Yeah, you can go to church if you want to, but they're not going to control our lives completely. So that's kind of, uh, that's kind of the scary evangelism. But, <laughs> well, I, I just mean that I know that that would turn me off. If somebody wants me to come into their community and sit at their table, like I've been talking about, like Jesus had people come and sit at his table, <laughs> you're going to burn in hell if you don't hurry up. I think I'll pass. I'll hit McDonald's on the way home. I'm not going to sit at your table. So stories in the Bible about Jesus um, at the table, sharing food and drink, are wonderful examples of communitas. Food, Lyra, as we know, is love. And as we talked about, I think those Jewish meals were probably pretty lengthy with all kinds of ritualistic things going on. Uh, Jesus invited marginalized people to his table, ignoring legalism, religious spirit, including uh, seating, for instance, a prostitute in a place of honor. And seating her in a place of honor, which really made the Pharisees upset, but he did this in what we have to consider as a shame-honor culture where women were not so much. I mean, they were sort of there. 
they, they weren't very well treated nor respected. Here's Jesus doing something that's completely, completely different. He was immersing himself in those that needed saving the most without judgment just by listening and loving. We have, we have people that we're, we're, we're using it as, as an example here that come join us from time to time and they're walking in off the street. And I think we're really getting into that because I was never like, oh, he's not coming in. He smells like booze. And so many of them do that we talk to off the street. So Jesus has kind of given this example to live up to. And when you really read about it, the guy just, I mean, he, he never seemed like Superman or anything. It was just really, this is who he was. Come, everybody, I don't care. I don't care where you've been. <coughs> um, I do have my Bible here. So in what what Jesus knew, which we're finding out, and we will find out through Communitas, is a way to evangelize that leads us to find out, which most of us know as we work together, God is constantly giving us clues on how to bring people to Jesus. Like we talked about Jesus being a great listener, getting everybody at his table. He never told anybody what to do. He never told them to repent. He did say, go and sin no more. But this is a guy who just sat down and talked to people, and they came to Jesus. In Communitas, God helps us listen and look for clues on how to evangelize. One of the coolest things I, I just heard, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the guys off the top of my head, but culture gives us clues. And in Communitas, we're embracing culture all over the place. We want to be the head, not the tail, right? Culture gives us clues in music, poetry, movies. In other words, clues are all around us. I've often said to the young people when we were training for worship team, uh, pick a secular tune, change a word. And it's amazing. You, you just find out God's speaking to this guy. He just doesn't realize it yet. When you break down the lyrics, even if it's some broken-hearted love song, oh, man, I miss him so much, or I miss her so much, and I wish she'd come back. If we're really listening, who, who are they missing? What, what are they missing in their life? What's making them fall apart so badly? Who are they longing for? Who are they yearning for? Alan uh, Hirsch, Jewish Christian from Australia, offers that um, book, uh, American, looking at American culture, though it seems as though we're turning from God, he says just below the service because of our culture, we are all crying out for God. We are, <laughs> we are in essence, often in America, we're looking for God in all the wrong places. Many Americans think Jesus is, is pretty cool. Uh, people that have been, they, they might not go to church, 
They might not know about that, but you say Jesus, oh yeah, he was cool. Uh, interestingly enough, on this theme of uh, prostitutes, is Kami still here? Because we laughed about this. You're like, I guess she's gone. Anyway, huh? Oh, cool, Cammy. This is what we were texting about, or I was. <laughs> You're awesome. You're so awesome. Anyway, um, the prostitute theme with, with Jesus has been very important to me because he's taking somebody that's absolutely the most miserable, conditioned person on the planet, and he's raising them above. Um, statistically, through, through interviews, uh, prostitutes, if they are asked who they think is cool, most of them say Jesus. Isn't that a weird dichotomy? Here they are doing something that we consider to be so irreputable. You know, it's just they're, they're ruined, right, forever. And yet they still respond when somebody talks about Jesus. You know, there's something going on here. The, uh, <clears throat> the inventor of the stethoscope said something very profound, and I believe it's because we're, we're talking about Jesus listening and us being a community us listening to culture. He said, listen, listen, listen. Listen to your patients because they're giving you the clues on how to treat them. We can sit and, and talk to, to all kinds of people, and even though they're not even talking about Jesus, they're not talking about God, they're telling us what's going on in their lives. What are they after? Are they an alcoholic? Are they a drug addict? In fact, um, it has been said, I can't remember the guy's name right now, a man going to a brothel is searching for God. You say, why is that? Because we're all made with a yearning. We're all made with this big hole that only God can fill. And if we can't get it filled with God because we don't understand or no one's told us how to do it, then we're going to find a different way to fill the hole. So this man in the brothel is actually looking for transcendency. He's looking for some sort, yeah, there's, there's touching involved, but he's looking for something beyond, some sort of spiritual experience that he doesn't get anywhere in his life. He needs some Jesus. He needs some Jesus, right? So God's, God's constantly giving us clues, and I don't have a whole bunch more, by the way. Um, but God's constantly giving us clues, and I, I have this real quick story about a friend of mine who just passed away. And this is something that could happen to all of us. So <clears throat> he had drank his entire life, at least a half a fifth of Canadian mist a day from the time he was eight, he told me once. He smoked a lot, so he was a little uh, pickled, shall we say, and he was very ill. So I was going to visit him, and... Uh, about a, about a year and a half ago, I was actually going over to his house doing the lawn for him because he just couldn't get around. And I'd sit, and, and this guy had always been really contrary. I mean, he was a curmudgeon. He always disagreed with everything he had to say, blah, blah, blah. So I'm sitting talking to him, and he's looking at me, and even through this alcoholic haze, which finally they cut him off from booze completely. And that's, they think maybe his body couldn't stand the shock. And that's how he eventually wound up dead. But the thing about it, I sit with him in front of his, he had a TV set on his table. And that's pretty much all he did all day. 
and he would tell me about the shows he's watching. And here's this disagreeable guy, always, nothing's ever right, curmudgeon. And he's telling him about the grandeur of Star Trek. How when they go off into the galaxy, he's telling me, wow, that is so cool. And I just feel so awesome when I think about being there. And the other one that he was watching was um, a really old show, uh, Have Gun, Will Travel. And the character in, in this is named Paladin. And he always remarked to me, look at this guy. I mean, he's good with a gun. He's takes, But he takes care of women. He treats them very well. He leads other people who are in trouble. He quotes scripture, by the way. And he also quotes poetry. So here's this guy that didn't believe anything. And he's giving me clues. Let's face it. He was giving me clues. He, he found these things to, to be believably spiritually to him. He wasn't sure that Jesus was it, but he had the yearning. Even through all the drinking and everything, he was telling me. Now, he's gone. But now I realize, in retrospect, I had the opportunity to evangelize to him right there, calmly. Not telling him he was going bird in hell or anything. Just say, wow, Al. Have you ever read this part in the Bible, maybe? He'd probably have flipped me to, to, to know him. But at least it would have been worth a try. And I bet he would have eventually let me read to him. That would have been so awesome. I, I pray for him. I hope he accepted God, but I wasn't there when he died. I mean, Jesus. So he'll be missed. But people that we meet all day long no matter what's going on in their life, are always giving us clues. Through communitas now, we have this opportunity to, to listen, to hear the clues all the time because we're learning every day. We're becoming every day with each other. We're becoming in tune. I think this is so marvelous because our opportunities for evangelism are endless. 90%, they say 90% of Americans believe in God. Maybe not the Christian God, but they have the spiritual sense that they're looking for something. They just need somebody to, to, to help them learn about Jesus. So we're not necessarily, as most of us believe, living in a totally godless country. People are spiritual. They do want to commune with a creator. Jesus our, and our God, as we, uh, and, and this yearning, it, it, it's in everybody. We have a big hole. God made us to commune with him. It's in our DNA. And people just can't deny it. Now, one of the most wonderful little uh, anecdotes about uh, God flirting, because he's flirting with us all day long, whether we hear it, whether we get it, and he's flirting with all these other people, too. And sometimes, though, for instance, you've seen a thousand sunsets. There's one sunset that you just know. That's God. He's revealed himself. So <clears throat> the uh, movie, The Color Purple, uh, the little slave girl, she, uh, she's out playing in the garden. And she sees all these beautiful flowers. And all of a sudden, she feels something on her cheek. 
and she doesn't know what it is. So she goes to her mom, and she says, Mom, I think God just made a pass at me. That's what God's doing this all the time. I mean, you know, we don't have to look at maybe making a pass. Sounds, sounds weird in today's society. But the point of it is, you okay there, Jay? <laughs> the point of it is God's doing this all day long to all of us. I mean, all, only God could do that, right? He wants us all, all to come, all of us to accept him. And he's also doing this all the time when he's flirting. He's going, hey, have you seen my son? <laughs> have you talked to my son recently? He is cool. He is awesome. You ought to meet him. God, the great evangelist, right? He's out saying, come meet Jesus. Paul. Real quick, <laughs> Paul also learned to reach out to people. Uh, when Paul was hanging out with uh, the Jews around Jerusalem and stuff, when he was just getting going, he was sort of in the Bible Belt. And he, um, he knew that people sort of knew the narrative, even if they didn't believe in Jesus or whatever, because they're Jews and they had gone through, they've, they've got the Torah, they've got tradition and everything. So he kind of knew how to work with them. But when he broadened his mission and went, for instance, to Athens, he had to carefully listen to their culture to figure out how he was going to evangelize. Because when he first got there, they didn't know Jesus from Adam. And they thought maybe he was a little bit nuts. However, he did find out something very interesting, that they were very spiritual people by nature. And they did have a belief of... A, a death and a resurrection. And uh, that was actually their God series where we get the, uh, the word for cereal because he was the corn king. I mean, Paul listened to culture. He got that an advantage. I think this is so exciting. Think how smart Paul was. He, he didn't try to hammer them into belief. He just went with what they were doing, and then he said, this might be, let's, let's try this. And they accepted it. It makes really good sense. Through, So I, I always thought that story was awesome. Anyway, through communitas, we are able, as Jesus did, to invite people to our table, no matter where they come from. We can understand people better in our evangelism by listening to their culture by listening to what they listen to, by, by reading their poetry, by listening to what music they like. And we can do this as Jesus did without judgment. And we can seat them in a place of honor at our table, no matter where they come from, listen and hear the clues of how God has been flirting. And by love, let them decide that Jesus can fill that huge hole inside that only Jesus can fill. Amen. I just thought I didn't know that. There's a God-shaped hole in all of us. Just for a, a little activation out of communitas, I was thinking maybe we could just have a little round table, two or three or whatever, and come up with ideas of how to evangelize along those along those lines of culture there's got to be a million ideas 
and it would make it sink in a little. Do you, do you understand you look confused? We're just going to kind of round table about ways through Communitas, through what we're doing, that we could move evangelism forward by, by working in culture. Was that better? To, what? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. 